Welcome to 21st Century Saints, our podcast and live stream series for members and those affiliated with, those adjacent to, those who hang around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here in the United Kingdom and around the world. Um, I think our live stream is up and running. Um, going to take an extra wee second just to check that though tonight, just to make sure because I'm we're broadcasting on Facebook and on YouTube, so we're just going to be quiet for a moment. Alana, would you be able to check if we're we're broadcasting okay? How much have you pulled yeah, on? I think, I think we're looking good, but we'll just make sure. Yeah, we've got some comments in the live stream. Hello to our... I was going to say, we're definitely live on Facebook and obviously we're live on YouTube because somebody said hello. Everything looking good then. Hi, everyone. Okay, so tonight is a bit of a last-minute decision. I've been sort of trying to work out all week um, how we want to approach this. Um, Conference was last week. And, you know, our Alana here is a huge fan of conference. (laughs) (laughs) And how many sessions did you get to watch, girl? A big fat (laughs) zero. No, that's a zero. Okay. You and most of the rest of the world, right? Um, I'm hardcore. I've got better things to do with my time than sit and listen to old men chatting a load of crap. And so say many of the um, many of the folk around the world to just just head off social media for the weekend because they just yep to. yep. Um, every year there there's some good stuff. There's often some some good stuff. Um, a lot of time that good stuff is mixed with some more problematic stuff. Um, I wanted to talk about specifically one particular talk that had really affected us affected me sorry um and hopefully we're going to try and go use their technology and do the screen share thing so that you can see a little bit so i want to first of all give you guys a little bit of a trigger warning um that we are going to be hearing a little bit of this conference talk the other thing I'm dreading doing this uh, for is because I don't want it to sound like a really a really rubbish Sunday school lesson or a really rubbish Relief Society priesthood lesson where you're just listening to tiny little bits of this talk and then pausing it and then coming back to talk about it. Except I think that in this case, there, there are things that... I really want to hit on. There are things that I think, my hope is that that this talk, that it will be covered this in the next six months in classes. And you know what happens, right? Alana, you you get a real, the the rare occasion where there's like something that speaks so powerfully and then it's handled really, really poorly Mm -hmm. in class discussions. And it's just it, it just ends up making you feel worse. And I think particularly because it's mental health, that's there's a likelihood of that happening with us. So I wanted us, because we feel 
really passionately about this subject. We have a lot to say about this subject. I wanted us just to sort of go through it and nitpick what what sucks, what what's problematic, what do we need to to say something about, and what do we need to expand on? Does that that sound like a plan? Yep. Okay, so we're going to see if the screen share will work. If it doesn't work, then we're just going to oh, do that really awful thing where we read out little sections of it. Um, <laughs> can I, Alana, do you want to do you want to read out this comment from <laughs> mental health being addressed in GA? They are fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so okay, so we're gonna I'm gonna hit the screen share button and hopefully this will work. Um one moment. And maybe our audience can let us know if um if this is gonna work okay. So we're gonna show this. Oh, it's working, oh, it's working today. today. I know it's because I've been practicing my technology. I can I just could hear, myself. hear myself back back there. Right, we're right over here. Can can you see that? Okay. So hopefully this will work and maybe you all could could let us know. And we're gonna we're going to, we're just gonna pause this just you know in, in sections, okay? Even though our family has enjoyed rich blessings while joyfully walking the covenant path, we have also faced exceedingly high mountains. I wish to share some very personal experiences regarding mental illness. These include clinical depression, severe anxiety, bipolar disorder, ADHD, and sometimes a combination of them all. Okay, so I'm pausing there already. Um, did you did you guys get to hear that? Yes, yeah, so I think. The yeah, are... I know at my end it was a bit echoey, like Phoebe, but it was happening when I was speaking as well. So I don't know if it was just because I'm on the live or whether it was sounded the same for everyone else. So I, I'm really enjoying like straight off PD is saying that, that this talk turned to stomach. This this was not the talk for PD. I, we're going to dig into why. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, so first of all, I'm, I'm pausing there because he mentions types of mental health that isn't just you know yeah we we know all about anxiety we we are we know about mental health because they've they've maybe you know that there's something and they're maybe maybe one of them has experienced a little bit of depression anxiety and so they then have all the answers he talks about bipolar disorder adhd i mean it, it kind of surprised me that, that he got specific. Yeah. Um, so I like that. Um, ah, I see Priesthood Dispatches is letting us know why we're getting a little bit of echo. Okay. But it's not too bad, apparently. So if yeah, it's, no, it was bearable. It was bearable. Yeah, if it starts annoying you guys, then just we'll, we'll deal. Okay. So I'm going to just uh, head back to... I share these tender experiences with the approval of those involved. During my ministry, I have encountered hundreds of individuals and families with similar experiences. 
Sometimes I wonder if the desolating sickness covering the land, as mentioned in the scriptures, might include mental illness. It is worldwide, covering every continent and culture, and affecting all, young, old, rich, and poor. Members of the church have not been excluded. At the same time, our doctrine okay. teaches us. So, can we talk about that for a moment? Um, you're all checking out my Facebook page. Yeah, so it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Um, and what I really like is that, that he's starting off by talking about, often we, we can make it sound like it's just a Western culture thing. It's just, you know, it's because we've got so much. It's mental health affects every culture, every demographic. And he... Uh, you know, he's he's really clear on that. I, I love how he, he pulls in the scriptures. This is what we can expect. This is this is what's gonna happen. Um yeah. <laughs> I also want to just give a shout out to our Alana who's pulling double duty tonight as um, as a parent and as talk about mental health. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing really great. Um, okay. We're gonna, so I was just going to say, like when you were saying there about you know mental health, every culture and things like, I used to just think mental health was only specific to certain people, but I kind of view it now that everyone does have mental health, but some people just manage theirs better. So every person in the world has mental health, but it's how it's cultivated yeah. and looked after. You know, yeah, I, like I used to think, oh, it's just me who's got mental health or so and so because we've got diagnosed things, but every person has mental health, but some people just go through life where it doesn't affect them or they do things that allow them not to have severe mental health. And also sometimes it has chemicals in the brain and things like that as well. But yeah, anyway. Um, and, you know, uh, our friend of the show, Scott Brandon, mentions Elder Holland. And I think as soon as someone's talking from their own lived experience, immediately um, it, it makes me listen and have more respect. Because, you know, as soon as someone is talking about mental health who just doesn't get it, who's not really experienced it um you can theorize all you like and that's one of the reasons why i liked this talk because he's actually not necessarily he's talking about his own experiences but the people who really experienced mental health were those in his immediate family um so i'm gonna gonna hit the play button again I feel like I'm spinning plates here, guys. Sorry about this. Okay, so I'm going to hit the play button again. Us to strive to become like Jesus Christ and be perfected in Him. Our children sing, I'm trying to be like Jesus. We long to be perfect, even as our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are perfect. Because mental illness can interfere with our perception of perfection, it remains all too often a taboo. As a result, there is too much ignorance, too much silent suffering, and too much despair. Many feeling overwhelmed because they do not meet perceived standard, mistakenly believe they have no place in the church. Okay, so that was the, the first. I think by this point, I'm like, okay, Elder Kapishki, I am listening. He, he, we've seen him spoke, speak a few times in ADA conferences. He's because he's in Europe. He's he's someone that we've heard a few times. This was him being honest and vulnerable, and so he speaks about it as as a taboo. It's something that we don't really speak about. 
he says it's a taboo because you know we sort of try to achieve these standards of perfection i'm not really sure if that's why it's taboo i think there's i think it's a lot more complicated than that see when he said like about you know striving to be like to see when the perfection actually made me cringe inside but then when he went on it kind of thought right okay you know but i was a bit like oh because that's where we go with it right it's it's the um it's the we just give it all to the savior and we're good and we we use the atonement and we're good you know, it, I was just about to say that when I seen PD's comment there because I've had that very same experience, not with a therapist, but just with church members who, as I say, are not trained, you know, like the leaders right. to deal with mental health and, you know, oh, just give it all to the saviour, you know, and what I went through was pretty horrific in my life and, you know, it's all good and well that you can talk to Heavenly Father and you can give it over to the saviour and his atonement, but it's more than that and I think that's something the church really need to stress to other leaders is mm-hmm. when it's severe mental health, not just someone who's gone in with just a wee problem, you know, or a wee issue. When it's clear mental health, you need to point them to the right people. You need to try and get them to go and get proper help from GPs, therapists, psychologists. You know, you can't just rely on giving it to the saviour. It doesn't work. I've tried it and it doesn't work. I ended up in worse states and ended up in hospital because I tried to do that, you know, and then eventually... I realise, no, I need to go and get the proper help. So that's something that I do get a bit antsy about is when you hear people, you know, saying, oh, just give it all to the saviour, you know, he'll make it all right. And Yeah. Um, I want to dig into that a, a bit more. Um, and what we're going to maybe do is kind of have a little bit of, you know, push and pull here. We, we, might, we might sort of be bumping up against some opinions that, I, I don't know, I just want to throw some things out there. So... I, I one of the first things I remember someone saying to me whenever th- there was really an ep- a mental health ec- epidemic in our ward, and I remember someone saying because they'd felt like priesthood leadership specifically, but just priesthood in general. You know, by the time you've got your home teachers, and it was home teachers at the time. Can, can I just keep saying home teachers? Yeah, I it's easier. Well, I don't know how to properly use like ministering like and I don't like it to be perfectly well, honest. It means I can explain the difference between men and women. I'm I'm gonna keep saying that because I feel like we're just calling a banana an orange and it's like, <laughs> so I'm gonna keep saying that. Um okay so because it felt like there was this intrusiveness I think or everybody somehow even if it was part of their responsibilities to care for your family felt really intrusive. So I remember some of those conversations and I remember, you know, a, a friend of ours saying, you know, you, you don't have to tell anyone anything. It's none of their business. And, you know, that was something that they had really, really discovered. Um, and I, I, while I get that, and I think it's 100% right. I think that's something really important to know is that, you know, your business is your business. You, No one has the right to your information. No one has the right to know what's going on in their, your life unless they're paying a price and you you have that relationship with them. That's why I kind of feel, you know, oversharing. It's like, you know, if you haven't earned your space in my life, then you're not entitled to, to me or to, you know, to my story. Um, I don't know how you're going to treat my story, but 
that said, um, you know, a few years ago, and this was at the same time while they were feeling a, a like pulling away from priesthood leadership, um, I had really, I, I was speaking to my bishop, I was speaking to my home teachers um, and good friends, and I felt it really beneficial. Not as a therapist, but I think, so this is what I want to put out there. Tell me what you think of this. The more support you have around you when you are having a mental health um, flare up, shall we say, whatever level that is, you know, dramatic or, you know, a big one, a small one, the more support you have around you, the better. What if that support that you have around you is your bishop, your home teachers and things? So I guess what I'm saying is talk to us about your experience of that. Well, I guess looking back now, um, having the support from the church leaders wasn't helpful um, in, in my opinion. So I personally now, um, if I had issues with mental health things, I probably wouldn't go to a church leader about it. You know, I would use my family, my friends, you know, and I would seek, if it was bad enough, I would seek professional help again. Um, because again, you know... <sighs> Church leaders like bishops, really society presidents, they're not trained in mental health. They don't know the right things to say. As I said, when I did my big interview on mental health and my life story, you know, things that were said to me really harmed me. You know, when I was trying to open up to people about things that had happened to me and things like the way it was worded, and I know the person didn't necessarily mean it to harm me, but it did. And it's because, like, the way I view it is, it's, if you don't know what to say in that moment, just shut up. <laughs> Sorry for saying that, but if you don't know the right thing to say or you worry that it might not be the right thing to say, you just shut up, you know. But again, there's this thing in the church about, but they rely on the spirit. It's the spirit telling them what to say. Well, that's a load of BS because if you're going to say something that's going to harm someone and make them feel worse, then it's not the right thing to say and it's not the spirit, in my opinion. Um, so I personally, I personally wouldn't, eh? The spirit could be saying, shut up. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, what are you on about? Um, so, yeah, I, I personally, I think, yes, it's it's good to have a good support system around you, but I personally wouldn't um, use church. Now, on the other side of that, you know, like there's someone within our ward who doesn't really have anyone else who has, he's got severe mental health and he's not got a great family support. So in that instance, you know, they don't have anywhere else to go for support, you know, other than the church leaders. But again, they need to make sure that they're getting him the right help then, you know. In that okay. instance where I had to end up dropping my child off to someone's house and go to a hospital with him because the, the leaders didn't give us stuff and were basically saying go home and leave him, which I didn't do, you know. So sometimes the support isn't always there, you know. So I, I try to see it kind of both sides. But in my, my opinion, if you've got family support and you've got other people you can turn to, go to them. And they don't even know what to say, but at least it's your family and they can hopefully point you in the right direction of, proper help. Could I jump in then? Because I think from what you're saying, there's there's a few things that I want to pick up. First of all, if you have the, the time to jump into the comments, um, for, for our audience, if you've got time to jump into the comments, there is some great things being said, and I'm hoping that, that we can, you know, get back in and address some of those um, some of those comments. Fantastic chat going on. So thank you to our audience for that. Um, the person that, that we're talking about who has severe mental health issues and has no family or little family support, um, I think actually that's worth discussing. Um, I think 
if all that you have got is a is a church um if, if all you have is church support i mean it, it theoretically it's wonderful but the damage that can be caused oh absolutely I mean, I think it does have support from mental health, but in my opinion, it's not enough. Yeah, well, and it's I mean, because it they're be, so far stretched, you know. It, it could well, yes. And so here, my thoughts on this is that when you are a church, so th this is where it plays out in a very Mormon way. There are churches all over the world supporting people with mental health, you know, conditions. It's there are so many different types of mental health conditions, and you know people are just figuring that out the difference here is that we've got so many good natured willing people who want to help we want the, the, our church is a church of fixers so we want to do something and we want that to be measurable um and the other side of it is because we're mormons we believe in continuing revelation we believe that it's possible for us to have a, 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 a an actual communication from god from angels from the savior we, we believe that those things are are available to us all um they're really sacred we don't talk about it so because of that, when you have somebody with a condition, um, for example, schizophrenia, if that voice you're hearing, if you know, you're, we, we talk about, you know, you can hear the voice of the spirit. I, I just think it's awfully, awfully dangerous waters that we're treading in for particular types of mental health condition. And therefore the damage that can be done when you you know taking someone to the hospital what you know what what you're saying you're doing wonderful it also might not be the best thing i mean it might be the best thing also yeah. it, it might be that that person really needed support that looks slightly different in their own community and that you know that social services needed to be made aware of that we but yeah we we absolutely we can't do the the thing where bishop knows about it and you know this is too much because bishop's got a family um we don't have a paid ministry and so we are limited in what we are able to do i don't know i just yeah see i kind of feel though although we're not a paid ministry and i, I know it's but you take on that responsibility knowing that you're not paid and you know you can't just leave someone in the lurch i get that this person we're talking about can be hard work and but to just say you know without mentioning to say um oh it's just all in his head just leave him and go home you know of course it's all in his head because he's got a severe mental illness you know does that mean i just walk away and leave him you yeah. know on his own in a hospital late at night when he could just wander mm -hmm. off and you know goodness knows what happens that's just i get you know now had it been through the day i wouldn't have been you know just going to the hospital with him i'd have been saying right who can we contact mental health people you know, but I thought by turning to my bishop that he would say, right, okay, I'll be there or I'll send somebody, but I got the total opposite and I was so angry. I remember feeling so angry because I'm like, this is why people fall through the cracks and I'm not saying mm -hmm. I get that this person is hard work and I get that, you know, it can't be easy for a bishop, but 
I'm not saying that Bishop should have just up and left and went and sorted it, but I just feel there should have been a wee bit more of responsibility taken to try and either, you know, because I do believe yeah. there is a family member, there is a family member on his side. Um, I don't think there's the best relationship there, you know. Yeah. Um, well, but like, to find some sort of support or help for him, you know, he he didn't. He, he was also let down by the mental health services that night. You know, he didn't get hospitalised, but then went to an appointment the next day, and they got him hospitalised because they knew that he had to be in hospital. You know, so. I guess, yeah. you know, I, I'm not trying to put all the blame on the leaders because, you know, I know it's not easy and especially the fact that it's not paid, but I still think there has to be a level, a level of responsibility when you take on that role as a bishop or early city president. You're doing that knowing you're not getting paid and you still have to give a little bit to supporting someone, especially if they don't have that support. That's different if it was me and I was turning and saying, I really need help. They can contact my parents, they can contact you, they can contact my sisters or, you know, and say, look, Alana really needs help. We need you guys to get the support, you know, because I've got people. But for me, when it's someone who doesn't really have the best support system, someone needs to step up and say, what can we do here to get him the help that he needs? And that's just my opinion, you know. I'm not saying it's right, but that's just my opinion. No, you, you do... And <clears throat> No, there's there's some excellent things that I want to um this wonderful series of comments here that's being shared. I, I really want to, to dig into that some. But I'd like to come back to something else that, that you say about um Alana, you were saying also, you know, get in touch with family. So I think with you and with me, when you put a certain amount of work into your mental so for our audience who don't know, so I suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and always smile when I say that because it's not the, um, oh, you're so OCD. You know, like actual OCD. Yeah, it's I not the one where people say, oh, my books aren't sitting straight yeah. or they're not in order or. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, drives me crazy. Um, Alana witnessed me having a full blown um, rage attack because <laughs> someone in the supermarket centers oh it's just my OCD and like when you have an OCD meltdown you are you're ill you're so so and, and you know Alana you've you've seen me this past few days I've, I've had a real flare-up for this past few days and it's it is not pleasant Alana you also do, do you want to talk about your mental health yeah so I have borderline personality disorder or as they like to call it, I don't like either one of these terms, um, emotionally unstable disorder. Yeah. Uh, so I basically... Different name, what, what did I call it? Um, emotional, emotional processing? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. But it, it is more to do with that. It's how I process my emotions and my emotions are very heightened. Um, and I can... Uh, there's there's loads of pointers I would need to dig them out, like things like, you know, like not being able to stay in a job too long, you know, that was all part of it, you know. When they read out all the kind of list of things that can be affected, like it made total sense to me, all the, the weird and wonderful things that I did in my life. Um, so, yeah, it's more about my emotional state. Because when I first heard it, I was like, does that mean like I'm borderline for like having split personalities, you know, because I didn't know what it was at first. But I now understand it, that it's just to do with my emotions. Like what I say is if you imagine, if you're just, I always say normal person, but I don't really mean to define what normal actually is, yeah. um, you know, and you you have, you know, somebody upsets you and it affects you a little bit, like I always say magnify that by probably a hundred or a thousand and that's how I feel like my emotions. I can be, I don't know how to describe it, it's like I'm usually either away down here or away up there and it shows a lot of them. That's why if you're ever in speaking to me or, you know, and I start to feel a bit anxious, I'll, you know, I'll start talking very fast and, 
and things yeah. like that because my emotions are just not catching up <laughs> yeah can i jump in and, and just so what you just said there so i've been alana's friend while alana you know when you got your diagnosis and all of yeah. this and i i kind of see it almost um a, a bit like the emotional version of autism where the the sensory processing and autism you know you, your your sense of smell just can be so heightened that it's really distressing you know auditory stuff there, there's lots of things that with with you it's your emotions are, are just you know either dampened down or very heightened but what so i found this so helpful when i've tried to understand something about my autistic child and you've been able to say oh, oh i know yeah, yeah I know exactly how he's feeling feels like and you were able to explain to me what that feeling felt like because it's almost like a superpower that you you seem to be able to take on an emotion feel it and that's what that can be so distressing for you and it, you know you it, it, so yes if someone falls out with you if you're yeah. angry it, it's dialed up to oh them. yeah yeah but also when you switch off you can just switch off so but when you described being up here or down there could you talk about that in terms of when you were speaking to church leadership and I want to pull into that um these wonderful comments from Donald where you had mentioned Donald um feeling what was it patronized feeling um you know uh, I'm just going to scroll back up and find that condescended to so Alana you're speaking to your bishop because you're really upset about something that's happened that you're saying, look, this is a situation and this is not okay. And the church leader used that phrase. You know, well, Alana, when you're up here, you're up here. I know you're trying uh, to remember. No, I'm like, I do remember the conversation, but I'm thinking, what exact term did he use? When you, he used the yeah, he basically, he basically called me out on my own mental health, basically, when I was yeah. saying that I didn't think something was okay. So he was basically using my mental health against me in that instance. And I was furious. And then I told Jane and she was even more furious. <laughs> so you're messing my friend. Uh... Well, but he used the same exact, you just used the exact same term as they did. How come it was different? Because I felt like he was using that against me from what I was saying. It wasn't, for me, it wasn't just, you know, talking about my mental health. It wasn't, that wasn't the instance. I was talking about something that really bothered me that I felt wasn't okay. And I felt like it was an attack against me. Like saying that that's why I was feeling the way I was feeling. You know, I understand that my emotions can be very up there and I can go for there to there in an instant, but to feel like it's been used against you because of something you feel, it really made me feel almost this small. Cause I'm like, then you start to question yourself. You know, you start to question everything. Is this why I'm feeling this way? But it wasn't. It was because the thing that I was talking about was not okay. And many, many people told me that. Um, but you then begin to question yourself and you do yeah. question, is this just me? And the other thing is that when you're talking about when you're up here um, and down here, you're talking about your emotions you're talking about not even just your emotions your, you know maybe your energy level yeah my mood sometimes as well i always mood, feel like energy. Not, although although it has been better last year i'm very seldom in the middle 
I'm usually somewhere between that, but I wouldn't say there's ever a happy medium with my emotions or my mood. I'm usually yeah. quite low or quite high, you know, and, and it is noticed by people like I was out on a night out on Monday night um, with my sister and at our gig and um, like I was talking to someone and just because it's someone I don't really know that well, I do start to get quicker and quicker when I speak and she was like, you know, to, you know, just and and it was okay because I understand it can be hard work for people when I'm giving it, you know. Um, but I just said that. But it was funny because she said you're just like your sister, you know, because Laura gets like that a little bit as well, you know. And she she was the sweetest older lady, and she, I know there was no, you know, sometimes when people say it, you know, in the past when people have said that to me, and bless my mum, like there's times I've wanted to punch my mum's face <laughs> because she'll go take it, and sometimes it's just how it's put across can make all the difference. You know, and yes. so with that that little lady, there was no animosity. It was not, you know, an attack or anything. She was just saying to me, you know, take a wee breath, you know, cat, you know. And I was like, oh, I know. I said I try so hard not to, but it can be difficult when I'm in situations where I feel a bit anxious, you know. And um, you have to explain your mental health. I know it's well-meaning, but it's yeah. also just people can advise you don't do that. Yeah, I know it's it is a bit annoying because it's like I I can't help it. Like I try so hard, and in my head sometimes I feel like I'm speaking slowly. Like my mental health professional used to say that to me, you know, and I'm like, but I I feel like I'm speaking slow. Like in my brain, I was speaking slow, but she's like, no, you're rambling, (laughs) you know. I think the trick is so. For example, we'll do this podcast, and there'll be times when you or I have went you know, either way ahead or you've covered maybe five different things that we, you know, we need to go back to the second thing to kind of, um, you know, to pay a bit more attention to that thing because I don't want you just to, you know, go past that without us, you know, jumping into that. And so the way you deal with that is just to pull someone back is just to say, okay, can I, you know, let, let's just pull you back to that part there. Let's go back to that part there. Um, talking about, you know, drawing attention to how someone's communicating is, it's really, really unhelpful, Um, I would suggest. And even when we know that someone's doing it with the best of intentions. Um, but again, people are just uneducated in how to deal with mental health because yeah. years ago it was so shut down, it was not talked about, you know. And I think be- that's where there needs to be more education, not just within the church, just in society in general, on the things not to say to people with mental health. Because, you know, I'm well aware that I rabble, you know, and to have it consistently pointed out all the time can be a bit frustrating and cause me to feel even more emotions that I don't want to feel, you know, because it can be frustrating because you're like, I feel it saying sometimes, I know it's my mental health, I can't help it, you know. Um, And you know that sometimes people are well-meaning with it, but just sometimes you want to say, just be quiet, like leave it alone, you know. Exactly. Um, So the the what we were talking about when you were speaking to a church leader because i feel like the the comment from doug was was such a wonderful one there and that that mormon clergy don't have training the instinct is to punish so if you're saying that you are feeling something that they're perceiving as a negative emotion that you are feeling a lot of big feelings about you're angry or something Mm -hmm. needs to change or you or you know whatever that looks like the instinct then is the answer is that well you're doing something wrong so when they say when you're up here they mean spiritually up here when you're down there so when you're very low spiritually and there's not 
I would say, uh, uh, for so many, particularly male leaders, they can't tell the difference between um, what an emotional response is, what uh, an anxiety response is, what, you know, maybe something as a consequence of low spirituality or just, you know, somebody ballsing up and they've sinned. Um, and I use that term very loosely. Jane, I, I need to come and get that dog by the throat. <laughs> Honestly, Jane will tell you, she's got this person over the back from her and they just let their dog bark back. And honestly, I, I love dogs, but it frustrates the life out of me. Thank I'm you sitting here you. and I'm like, because oh, it's distracting me, you know, like it's the two things, you know. Talk to me about how you would like priesthood leaders to, to deal with it when you approach them then. Um, I guess just, you know, I guess the main thing that I would say, and I've always said is, this is where I think some form of training needs to come in within the church. And I'm not saying full mental health training, you know, because it takes years and years for somebody to study. Well, not years and years, but a good few years for somebody to study on mental health to be a professional. But I think some level of training on, like, I think I talked about before, you know, about knowing what to say and what not to say, what's helpful, what's not helpful, you know. Um, and I, th I think, you know, when I look back, I think, you know, if you're truly guided by the spirit, then these things wouldn't be said, in my opinion, you know. Um, and so a lot of it is just their own thoughts, their own feelings. And again, I say, I think sometimes they're too quick to answer. And I think, as I say, that sometimes, you know, it's okay to pause for a few moments to think about what someone said without just jumping in and saying the wrong thing. Like, even just to say to the person, look, just give me a few wee minutes to um, think about that, um, you know, would be okay, you know, because I just think it's more damaging if you say the wrong thing. So I guess I feel there needs to be some kind of training within the church. I've always spoken about that now for a while. And I guess just not always trying to fix people. I think church leaders need to realise that they're not therapists, they're not um, addiction therapists they're not you know whatever they, they need be so if they don't know how to help don't just try and guess what you need to say or or say the typical things you know get, get on your knees and pray and and read your scriptures and attend church and attend all your meetings these things don't work when it comes to these things yeah they possibly help to a certain degree mm -hmm. because you know you're spiritually in touch with god if you believe in god you know but it's not what's going to help when it comes to mental health or addiction or things like that, it doesn't work. You need the proper help. So it's they need to make sure that they, they let the people know that they love them, they're there to support them in any way they can, but, or maybe not but, you know, because always the but always sounds a bit, but just say, we need to get you in touch with some people who can help you. You know, I think that's the route they need to go down. They need to stop trying to fix people themselves and stop thinking that they're professionals. They're not professionals. They're men. They're human. They need to direct people to correct help. And if that person struggles, because you know what I'm like, Jane, when it comes to phoning people, you know, or phoning doctors and things. So sometimes I need a bit of additional support for that, you know. So again, offer that support if they're not able to phone these places themselves. Say, I'll come with you, I'll help you speak to them and, you know, support them in that way. But stop trying to give them the answers to, you know, your problems when you don't have the answers. Um, someone's just asking if the stream's cut out, so could, can I maybe ask if, if our audience could just confirm if we're still broadcasting okay, I think, I think we're looking good, it might be just your stream, Doug, um, 
yeah, we're still getting some comments in, so I think we're good. Um, I actually, yeah, I, I love what you're saying. It, it is a very it's Christian yeah, thing, particularly a Mormon thing to try and we're solution based. We, especially Relief Society, you know, the, the job is there is a job and we can treat each other as a job. At times, it, it is blooming brilliant. But when it comes to let, let me take what you're saying about about, you know, fixing about how we can't fix people. He, here's the thing. Even if my bishop, my Relief Society president, my ministering sister, <laughs> even if you could fix my problems, do not try and fix my problems. You have no right to fix my problems. My problems, my challenges, as we like to call them, they're mine. And they're my experiences. And you have no right to take away from me the fact that I need to be experiencing this and dealing with it in the right way for me. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, there are times that I'm asking for help. Sometimes it has been, my OCD is so bad, I really needed someone, because we also have a disabled child in the house, my other children have been thrown into the role of carers and they don't get a break. And even when they go to school and they have to learn and, and it's, it's a very intense life when, you know, there is so much caring to be done. And so sometimes the help I need is just, can you take my, my kid out to the park for a little bit next time you're going out with your kid? Can, can you just not forget them? And that's huge. If you're going to do something practical, that's great. But for the most part, as much as the, the answer is not go to church, read your scriptures, but sometimes, you know, the answer for me can be, I, will you sit and talk to me about Jesus? Will you sit and talk to me about what, how was church on Sunday when I couldn't be there? What, tell me what did you learn this week that you can share with me that will help me in my week? Will you speak to me about, will you pray with me? Will you tell me about the thing that you read in the scriptures? And so often we're saying those are the answers, but we're not willing to get down in the trenches with someone. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, shut up and listen. <laughs> and then if you're going to speak to me, just just hold my hand and speak to me. Well, I was going to say that. I think sometimes it's not even like, I know in the past when I've went to speak to somebody, sometimes it's just about getting it out there. It's not that I'm looking for you to have all the answers or know what to say. Because like, yes. you'll know with you and I, Jane, like if something happens that really, you know, affects me, you know, whether it's yeah. with my child's dad or with family or, you know, I just need to get it out of my system. And so Jane's yeah. my go-to. And so I phone her and I just go to town. I just blurt it all out and see at the end I can go, <sighs> you know, because I've got it out there, I've got it out my system, and sometimes that's all I need. I'm not necessarily looking for Jane to be like, you know, well, maybe if you could do this, or maybe if you look at it this way, because again, you know, I've got people in my family who are very good at that, and how about you look at it this way, and sometimes you're like, shut up, I don't want you to tell me, look at it this way, I just want you to let me get it out my system, you know, um, and sometimes that's, so that's all someone needs is just to get it out their system i'm not looking for you to fix me i'm not looking for you to have all the answers i just need to get it out my system and sometimes that's i'm not saying that's the case for everyone but certainly for me 
you know, and I, when I'm saying, you know, about me getting out there, you know, I don't need Jane to fix me, but I love it when she goes on a good rant with me and says, aye, and this, and, you know, gets tore right in with me. I love it. I love it. Um, but sometimes that's all you need is just to know that someone's got your back. They're listening. Yeah, we call that venting in the US. That when well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we say venting too. It doesn't always feel like that whenever we are speaking to someone from church, and we would call it the churchy answers, right? When we we are speaking to someone from church about what we're struggling with or what what our pain is, we're opening up and being vulnerable, and they it doesn't feel like they're on our team. We're not being heard. We're not being listened to. It doesn't matter to them. They're not taking it seriously. Um, yeah. I'm just looking at Scott Brandon's comment there. It's absolutely just that's why I went, oh. Um, a mother went through mental health problems. Her state president showed up and took her kids away for six hours so she could de-stress. That's what it's all about. It's looking for those wee moments where, what can I do to help? I mean, I remember, you know, when I was younger, um, occasionally when there was a, a mum there with kids on her own or, you know, maybe the father was on the stand, you know, I used to see who I could help and even just go sit with them to help with the kids during sacrament meeting, you know, and yeah. it's, it's those wee small things that matter. You know, it's if you see someone sitting with a tear in their eye, you know, go sit by them and put your arm around them or I mean I know it's a bit difficult with COVID and stuff now but you know even things like you know there's a sister in our ward who used to sit beside someone who has now passed on and she used to sit with her because she's got illnesses but she falls asleep a lot and sometimes you're worried she's going to hit her head and so I seen that and he didn't realise and obviously Eunice hadn't passed it oh sorry his name's hadn't passed at that time but she just wasn't there that Sunday and I just went over and sat by her and and supported it up you know and I'm not yeah. saying that to blow one trumpet but what I'm saying is it's sometimes just those little things where we see a need and we're just there we're not yeah. speaking we're not saying things but we're just letting people know we've got you we're here to support you whatever you need you know it's not about verbalizing the answers or you know yeah. it's just being there it's just being there so that that doesn't get lost um yeah a sister who would fall asleep in church a vulnerable sister who needed a lot of care and support who would would fall asleep and she needed a sister you know, sorry well she didn't need a sister I mean she would have slept anyway but a sister would come and sit next to her so that she had someone to rest her yeah. head again. just because quite often she would look like she was going to go down yeah. and bang her head you know and and I think that did actually happen in the society one time if I remember correctly she went forward and banged her head you know so it's just it's just those small things you know I think we always think we've got to do this big extravagant thing you know to be there for people but we don't it's the small things that matter oh, amen um okay so I'm going to go back to this talk because the the there's more stuff that's coming and I want us to frame this we're going to come back and talk in a moment about family and the the place of family in our mental health. Now, I want to acknowledge first of all, um, our, our dear, our dear Gary had had mentioned that this is someone who's talking about their son's mental health, and let, let's just let's just say we are very good at doing that in church, using family stories that maybe don't always get permission for our talks and things in church. I, I like to think that he would have, but let's face it, it, it happens a lot. Um, often we sort out our baggage from the pulpit. Um, 
that's problematic. So I'm going to jump back over and we're going to share this on the screen again and see the next little bit of this talk. To combat such deception, it is important to remember that the Savior loves each of his father's children. He fully comprehends the pain and struggle that many experience as they live with a broad range of mental health challenges. He suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, taking upon him the pains and the sickness of his people. Because he understands all afflictions, he knows how to heal the brokenhearted. Challenges often indicate a need for additional tools and support and are not a character defect. Allow me to share several observations I made as our family has passed through trials. First, many people will mourn with us. They won't judge us. Due to severe panic attacks, anxiety, and depression, our son returned home from his mission just after four weeks. As his parents, we found it difficult to deal with disappointment and sadness because we had prayed so much for his success. Like all parents, we want our children to prosper and be happy. A mission was to be an important milestone for our son. We also wondered what other people might think. Unbeknownst to us, our son's return was infinitely more devastating for him. Note that he loved the Lord and wanted to serve, and yet he could not for reasons he struggled to understand. Okay, so that, um, I, I, I'm jumping in a wee bit earlier than I would like to because I think it's really important to talk about that for a second. Um, he talks about the suffering saviour, the saviour being able to heal um, and things like that. Things that when you're in a low place, it, it, the idea of a healing saviour is like a bam to me. It might not be to everyone. And I think that's important to recognise. But he speaks, and I, I love this. So it would be really easy for us to say, you're talking about your kid's mental health and their mission experience and you're worrying about what other people think it would be so that's nice that go. really got my back up like i was sitting here like but <laughs> yeah but, but again it's such a church mormon thing though that we worry about what other people think rather than how it affects the person that's going through it what i loved about it is that was bloody honest that was real and if we are all going to kid ourselves that in his position we would not bat an eyelid or think oh what's everybody else gonna gonna th now I, I think ideally we wouldn't even think that way at all but realistically we are we're social people who've been brought up in the church you you know you you know there's expectations. You know that when, when you marry, you're probably going to be expected to marry in a temple. You're expected to not have sex before marriage. You're expected you're going to serve a mission. You're expected things will look a certain way. And if how much of mental health issues are created by what we think the world should look like? I'm phrasing this badly for me. I feel very, very distressed and it tends to aggravate my mental health when I think this is really, really wrong. This, 
things should look like this and it's not fair that they don't and I become so distressed by the thought genuinely distressed by the thought that I find it difficult to see past it I find it difficult to accept sometimes things as they actually are and I think it's a really helpful tool for our mental health if we can say you know what I worry about how it's going to look I worry about how I'm going to feel about how other people will see me. I understand this part of how I, I naturally think, and I'm going to choose to let it go. When we're talking about this idea of perfection that, that, that he mentions at the start, you know, we want to be perfect. We 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 have this goal, and we're saying it's us who wants to be perfect. Yeah, I think I think we do we do want to be you know, good and better and the best, but also is very much a church and society expectation. When we grieve, it's expected we will grieve a certain way. When we are angry, we should look, you know, we can be angry within certain parameters, if at all. So if we are going to say that we will never think, what are they going to think about me if my son comes home early? How about if we apply the principles of positive mental health to that situation and just acknowledge, yeah, you're going to feel like that. And you know what? You were honest about it and you accept, you know, you understood that you recognized that you, you felt that way and you let it go because you loved your son more than you loved what those expectations were. I would love that to be a church experience. Um, so I'm going to jump back over to the stream again and just go from there. He soon found himself at a point of total hopelessness, battling deep guilt. He no longer felt accepted, but spiritually numb. He became consumed by recurring thoughts of death. While in this irrational state, our son believed that the only action left was to take his own life. It took the Holy Ghost and a legion of angels on both sides of the veil to save him. While he was... I am going to just cut off there again. So I'm determined to show everyone my Facebook page <laughs> as I'm jumping back across. Okay. Um, um, do you know what? Let's, let's just read this out, this brilliant comment. Advice to parents from Doug. Let your kids be who they want to be, not who you want them to be. Beautifully put. Um, we're coming to the point in the talk where we start to talk about suicidal ideation. So we are going to just put out a trigger warning for that. Um, it's close to our hearts. <clears throat> He mentions the, the word, he, in, in the sense he uses the word irrational. Here's the thing. Um, it's very, to, to me, when I am thinking, I hurt so much that I want it to stop. It's a very rational thing to think that I could just go home could just go home to my heavenly father and I will feel peace and I will feel loved and I have confidence in where I'm going and this will not hurt anymore. 
I guess I'm calling out the label irrational because it's it I think what happens when you experience suicidal ideation is you can become laser focused. Things suddenly look very, very clear. And it's rational to think if this hurts, to want it to stop, to want it to stop hurting. Um, that said, the reason I mention this is because I think we have to get away from the idea that when someone is um, experiencing suicidal ideation, thoughts of self-harm um, or, or extremely distressing unwanted thoughts or disturbing thoughts, that it would look a certain way, it will look irrational, it will look the behavior may have some kind of signal that I can see, oh, that's not rational. Actually, when people are experiencing suicidal ideation, they can become so calm, so organized that it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shock because you're not seeing distressed, rocking, um, you know, head in the hands. Suddenly everything's very, very clear. And I'm pointing this out as a as one of the signs that often is overlooked when someone is suicidal. There can be distress followed by utter calm. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to share that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to share was the idea that he, when he talked about how his son was saved by a legion of angels on the other side of the veil, um, you know, it, it's probably not the story for here, but I had a powerful experience, um, a series of powerful experiences that I would describe in the same terms. Um, less supernatural than I think I'm making it sound here, but the fact is that if we're just leading, leaving it to sort of heaven to sort out, I would say prayers are, are always really important when our loved ones are struggling, you know, praying for someone, something that when I learned people were doing that for me, it, you know, a, a few years ago, um, Alana and I were, were really close at the time when I, I completely broke. And I, I, over a weekend, this, you know, very much the, the way Elder Kapishki describes his, his son's life was at risk. That I, I just wanted to go home. And I had went to a hotel and I, thought this is, you know, this is this is where I will make the decision and, and make my choice about what I'm going to do very rationally. Um, I, I had a really powerful experience, but the experience that I had with people who were here, with Alana, who, I, you know, I, I knew who was just 
being being my constant um with people who were out just just doing good in the world people that I knew who you know I I bumped into who were were just out ministering to others and let me see how much goodness and hope that there was um that was a powerful spiritual experience for me and I, we tend to not you know really get super spiritual on on this show we more talk about experiences and how we're experiencing mormonism i just i just wanted to share that that as people are doing their thing and it made a difference it made a difference to me thank you i don't want to take away from all your lovely words um no, no, but please. see i just like you know how I always say like we can't blame the church for everything but I get my back up a little bit with the fact that his son was even feeling suicidal for that reason um because of the shame of coming home from his mission because that should never be the case and you know we know growing up in the church and I've spoke about it before you know we are taught you know you've got to serve an honorable mission you've got to stay out for the full time and you know some people do say you know I've heard stories again of missions who are saying if you don't go on a mission you'll be out in your ear you won't have anywhere to stay or you know all these pressures put on and I think if that now I'm not saying that 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 guy might have not had mental health or suicide ideologies yeah, for yeah. other reasons but yeah. I just think we really need to there's like you know when I say this change in the church that's one of the biggest things is we need to stop again this shame and this you know you go and you do your best mission I almost came home from my mission you know my parents didn't let me and my mission president told me he was keeping me there kicking and screaming you know you need to be here and I'm glad that they did but I had mental health in my mission. I did not want to stay. I was wanting to go home. You know, I was on the other side of the world, which was probably a good thing, you know, <clears throat> being in New Zealand, or I think I'd have been on a plane home, you know, <clears throat> whereas the cost of a plane ticket from New Zealand was too expensive. I would never have managed it. But, you know. I'll, I'll ask you to speak about, about that because it was on your mission <coughs> that you first had experienced depression. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I think I think I probably experienced it in my teenage years, but I hadn't really noticed that that's what it was, <clears throat> you know. Um, but um, yeah, so obviously a big part of it for me was, you know, I had never been away from my family. I've always been a home bird, you know, as they say. Um, I've had a very close relationship with most of my family, um, and so to be going on a plane to America, you know, I spoke about that in my podcast of my life story supposed to go to Greece things happened didn't go went to New Zealand um, and <clears throat> I just found it really tough being away from my family and you know it, it was a, a culture shock it was you know I lack confidence in myself and my ability like I struggled with that even in the MTC you know with teaching I thought how am I going to go out here and speak to people about stuff that because for all I've been in the church all my life I've never really been a studier I've never really been one to really delve into stuff so I felt my knowledge was this small you know <laughs> and people kept saying oh but it's about your testimony and yeah that's a great thing you know your, your things um but I began to realize throughout my mission that you know as I went on that it isn't necessarily about your knowledge because it was just me being me that helped people but um yeah just and I think as well like when I first went on my mission I had two companions and then that companion was going home so I think this was all factors and then this other sister missionary came in started trying to change things and be a bit dominant and this is how it's going to be and, and I just think all of that just played into this and I just my mind just snapped at that point like I was in such a downer I mean my companion bless her thought she was doing the right thing by taking me around doors and honestly people were probably thinking oh she looks happy because I would stand at the doors and I'd be like hi we're from the church of Jesus Christ because I couldn't smile I was you know and again because 
were young girls, were not properly trained. She thought she was doing the right thing by just getting me out of the house and still going to do the work. And I'm standing at people's doors, absolutely looked miserable out my head, trying to talk to people about this church that's supposed to bring light and love and all these things, you know. Um, and eventually, I, when I was out with her, I just snapped and I just had a go at her. And I felt, I felt bad for that, you know, because I lost it with her and it wasn't directed at her necessarily. It was a whole bunch of things. And obviously, I said, I want to go home. I can't do this anymore. Got referred to a GP. My mum and dad said, look, why don't you try? You know, I had this idea in my head of medication and how that would look and being dependent on it the rest of my life and how awful it was and <clears throat> how people would view me. And so, um, but my parents advised me to just give it a try for a little while. And if I still felt the same in a month or so, you know, it would get me home. But um you know, I'm glad that I stayed. You know, I've, I've said that as much as I'm at where I'm at church-wise right now. I don't regret my mission because I had lovely experiences. I met amazing people. I just wish I hadn't taught people a load of garbage. Um, you know, that's my only thing that I feel a bit about, you know, that I've been teaching Wait, people things. Norman's still sitting here. Tact, please. Thank you very much. I, you know me, I don't do tact. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's it's just, it, it was very, very difficult, you know, on me because it was a shock to my system even to feel that way because I've always been like, people always say I've always been this outgoing, bubbly person, you know. I remember, sorry, I feel like I've on a total rant now. I remember I met one of my very good, my best friend who was one of my school friends. Um, I met her dad a good few years back up the street, you know, and I can't remember how we got into the conversation, you know, but I told him that I was severely mentally ill and, and I'd ended up in hospital, I was suicidal and things like that. And and he was like, no way. He's like, you? He's like, you're always so happy and bubbly, you know. And it just goes to show that people can come across that way, but inside they're dying, you know. But everybody, do, I mean, would, you, would you, people walk around with a sign around their neck? When yeah. has anyone ever committed suicide or been hospitalised or sat with depression and folk have thought, yeah, do you know what, he did look like a time. <laughs> but I felt like he really thought I was on the wind-up. You know, my friend's dad, like, I really genuinely thought, he really genuinely didn't believe me because he's like, no way, not you, because, you know, I was around him. I stayed at his house a lot with my friend. And but uh, just... another thing <clears throat> that I'm not helpful for you to say, you're too yep. happy to be allowed to be depressed. Yeah. You know, what, what are you supposed to do with that? But, but you look so happy. Well, yep. because you can be happy and be suicidal. You can be happy and this is the this is the thing with you know bipolar, with borderline personality disorder, with actually being a Mormon when you can be spiritually or emotionally high and low at the same time. It's it's messed up. So I'm going to jump us back over to um to the talk because we've got more to discuss. Thank you, Donald. And during this immensely difficult time, our family, ward leaders, members, and friends went out of their way to support and minister to us. I have never felt such an outpouring of love. I have never sensed more powerfully and in such a personal way what it means to comfort those in need of comfort. Our family will be ever grateful for that outpouring. I cannot describe the countless miracles that accompanied these events. Gratefully, our son survived, but it has taken a long time and much medical, therapeutic and spiritual care for him to heal and to accept that he is loved, valued and needed. Okay, so just that 
massive part where medication really important um I think it's often the last of the last that gets mentioned um, at church. Um, medication is a really important to discussion to a really important discussion to have with your doctor. Um, we're we're blessed in the UK to have um, free universal healthcare. Medication, um, yeah. Alana, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing at Doug's comment. Um, yeah, I, I, see, I kind of see it two ways sometimes with, uh, I was actually speaking to a, an ex-missionary who served over here in Scotland, Bonnie, about this, um, whereas we do get free healthcare and it is amazing. Um, there are the kind of two sides to that. So, for example, you know, whereas at the moment, especially with um, COVID, you know, the GPs, in my opinion, are still hiding behind that and it's very difficult to see a GP or get referrals to... Um, see a specialist or see a mental health professional or whatever you know whereas Bonnie was telling me you know she had an issue with something on her foot or something like that and like she went to the GP about it got referred and had it removed within a week you know now that just would never happen here so you know on that side but where I'm grateful we get free health care yeah. we don't get that quick service as you know you would over there which can be a bit frustrating at times um, um, when it comes to depression, um, if you see your GP, you're pretty much on meds. You know, yeah, you can get on meds, but sometimes even waiting for depending on how severe you're, you know, yeah. because of how it's severe I was, I was referred quite quickly to a CPN, you know, because I was I was in a bad way, you know, I needed somebody like ASAP. But you know, it definitely with meds, I mean, it's a whole ball game with me. I seem to do my meds really well for a long time. And then, like Jane will tell you, probably for the last three, four, maybe longer months, in my head, it's only been a few weeks. <laughs> um, you know, I've struggled to remember to take my medication. And I I try to dig into that and see, is there a reason why I'm sabotaging myself? Because I know that medication helps. Um, I've not been feeling at my best lately. You know, I do feel super low. I feel like I'm really short with Daisy. And I think medication would fix this. What are you doing? You know, um, so I, I, I'm trying to kind of dig into why, you know, I feel like I'm self-sabotaging myself at the, at the moment. But, you know, like I say, and this is where I always come back to is that, again, years ago, you know, we always taught just give it to the Lord, give it to the Lord, give it to the Lord. No, you need to refer people to get the help because some people just need to be on medication. And I, I used to, again, have this, I don't know what it was or where it came from. I've just always had this thing about medication and about being reliant on it and becoming addicted and all these different ideas in my head. Um, and, you know, and, I, and my sister said to me, you know, um, one who's been out the church for a long time, you know, if it's a choice between being on med one tablet a day or however many tablets a day for the rest of your life to give you and your daughter the quality of life that you deserve, you know, what's the issue with that? You know, because I've always kind of found an excuse not to take it. And I get what people are saying, but I just think, I know you would think it's so easy to just put a couple of tablets in your mouth and swallow it over, but I don't know what it is with me. It just isn't just that easy for me. And obviously I'm working towards it. Um, like I, I did really well for a whole week. I took my medication and then, Boom. I think it was actually when I was away for the weekend. I think that's where I broke the cycle. Um, 
been away at Sunstone, um, and since I've come back, it's just went to pots. <laughs> so I need to sort it out. But yeah, if, if medication, uh, the advice oh. we'd give to anyone is don't shy away from medication. Don't feel that you're a failure because that's some of the things that I've felt. Don't feel you're a failure for having to be on medication because if it gives you the life that you deserve to feel stable and have your emotions. And, and don't get me wrong, even on medication, I'm not saying my life is perfect on medication. I still have my low days. I still have days when I'm high as a kite. But it's more manageable, you know, more sustainable for longer periods of time. So don't think necessarily that medication's a magic fix all the time. But don't shy away from medication. Don't feel you're a failure. Don't feel you don't want to be on it the rest of your life. You know, I was told by one of my mental health professionals that sometimes people with my diagnosis within 10 years, it goes away. You know, I don't know that that's going to be my life personally. Um, but, you know... Just, just do medication. If you need medication, go to your GP and ask for the help. Don't, don't suffer it alone. And you know, there's nothing wrong with being on medication. I think there's always been this kind of stigma with mental health and medication things. Just don't let it affect you. Get on medication if you need it. Yeah. Um, okay. So the other thing that he pointed out was uh, how his family um, was experienced so much love and support. I can imagine the the uh, someone who's serving um, in the area presidency or who is in, in the quorum of the seventy, if they're having a, a tough time, I can imagine people would be beating down their door to go and help. That's often not what people no. are experiencing. Do you want to maybe share some thoughts on that? Um, you know, it did cross my mind. You know, as he was saying that, you know. Um, that's not everyone's experience. That's amazing that that was his son's experience, but that isn't everyone's experience. Um, you know, I mean, when I was hospitalised, I could probably count my one hand, you can see it, the amount of church members who actually came to see me, um, which was and mainly a bishop. Not, and I, yeah, when, when we call it, when we say it's a taboo, it, it really is a taboo people don't talk about it it's people you know it, yeah you, you don't often find that people are willing to go and visit someone who's been treated as an inpatient in a hospital for mental health because of all of these preconceived ideas or 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 just because we don't there are things we don't talk about in our society death mental health you know all, all yeah. of these things um Okay, I'm going to go and jump on to the, the next part. I recognize that not all such incidents like or end like ours. I sorrow with those who have lost loved ones far too early and are now left with feelings of grief as well as unanswered questions. My next observation is that it can be difficult for parents to identify their children's struggles, but we must educate ourselves. How can we know the difference between the difficulties associated with normal development and signs of illness? As parents, we have the sacred charge to help our children navigate life's challenges. However, few of us are mental health specialists. We Okay, I'm going to jump in there. Okay, whether it's mental health, whether it's church history, whether it's, um, I don't know, any part of our mortal experience, but also our church experience. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that was my favorite phrase of conference, educate yourself. 
we must educate ourselves. And so this assumption that we're always going to know what our kids are experiencing or how they're feeling, we need we need to be learning about um, about mental health issues to know how we can help. Um, even when there are shows on Netflix that uh, discuss mental health issues, conversations are happening before those shows um, from, from the cast about where you can go and get help. And, uh, you know, I just think the fact that we're acknowledging this might be hard and there are things that we need to know. Um, I'm going to continue a little bit. Nevertheless, we need to care for our children by helping them learn to be content with their sincere efforts as they strive to meet appropriate expectations. Each of us knows from... Okay, and jumping in again here. Um, I, if there was a bit I was going to be a little bit concerned about, it might have been this one, helping our children to be content. While I, I totally appreciate what is being said, um, I don't know. I, I, I just have feelings about that. Um, I, I think this this comment from Donald is a really good one, that, that sometimes it's not about... Actually, I think most of the time it's not even necessarily about a feeling of discontent or wanting things to be better or different sometimes it just is it's just the way it's just the way we're wired i'm going to press play again just for another little moment more own personal shortcomings that spiritual growth is an ongoing process we now understand that there is not a simple cure-all for emotional and mental wellness we will experience stress and turmoil because we live in a fallen world with a fallen body. Additionally, many contributing factors may lead to a diagnosis of mental illness. Regardless of our mental and emotional well-being, focusing on growth is healthier than obsessing about our shortcomings. For my wife and me, the one thing that has always helped us was staying as close to the Lord as possible. In hindsight, we now see how the Lord patiently tutored us through times of great uncertainty. His light guided us step by step to the darkest hours. Okay, so on this, I, I want to say something about this um, little comment. This is what I think will happen in classes. Um, we will hear the comments about how um, it's not always till we get through the other side of a trial or a challenge that we then see the blessings yeah we can we can see once we're once we come out the other side that the whole time Jesus was there helping um I dislike it I, I I'm not saying that it's utterly untrue maybe you know yeah it probably is but that's not where my focus tends to be because so many of us either don't come out the other side and that they don't make it, that they die by suicide. Um, and it doesn't acknowledge the pain of what the other side looks like. There's also though the issue of 
sometimes when you when you're not experiencing something chronic you need there to be a finishing point you need there to be a people can need there to be a, a start and an end a trial will begin and then we'll come to the end even if that means uh, celestially on the other the other side of it you know at some point it will all become really clear when actually right now is part of eternity right now and my experience of mental illness is one that's probably going to be lifelong there isn't going to be another end and when I know if I um, were to put on my TBM hat for a moment if I um, make it to the celestial kingdom and all is good I am still going to be the me who has had all of these experiences, who understands and knows what mental health is like. There isn't, if now is part of eternity and this is who I am, while I can look forward to being healed, um, I'm still going to be the me who experiences acute, pain here's the thing that i've learned from and i appreciate that that this is not going to necessarily be to everyone's taste this is me speaking as the tbm which you know you guys you know i, I don't generally do too much i am absolutely convinced that the person that i am right now is able to kind of like you'll i'm able to experience things on a deep acutely deep level um because i experience deep pain so i can be I can, I can exquisitely love being a mother and find exquisite pain in being a mother i genuinely don't take one second for granted when, when i when my child is saying 4,000 times a day, I love you. And it's over and over. Not one gets an eye roll because each one goes right to my heart. I can experience things on such an exquisite level because I know what down there is like, because I live down there. It means I can live up here as well. Does that make sense? So to, I, I know I'm not going to be healed of that because that's a wonderful gift that I have been given. That's something that I get to experience because I, I, because things have been tough because that's where I live. Does does any of that make, I, I don't know if any of that makes sense. As long as it makes sense to you. <laughs> oh, that was helpful. Thank you guys. Um, priesthood dispatches is saying, we're a church led by God. Imagine the home run it would have been if they had taught this in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, this is not news to anyone who's experiencing mental health issues. And I, I guess I'm just, my concern is the Elder Kapishki's talk, that moment will end up being what is going to be taught in Sunday schools. It, it's going to be the, it's okay because we'll, when we come out the other side, you will be able to see what the blessings were you'll, you'll be able to see and 
Yeah, that's great if there's another thing. The thing with that is, though, like, in my opinion, like, when it comes to mental health, that's not what's important. Like, you know, especially when you're in that, like, you're you're not looking for the blessings. Like, sometimes all you can see, like, I know for me, all the things I could see was I was a horrible person. Everyone would be better off without me. I'm just causing pain to everyone. I'm just acting out and being this awful teenager to my parents. I'm just, you know, you don't see any of that. And sometimes even when you come out at the other end, you still don't see that. Like, I wouldn't say that I've ever really looked back and thought, oh, I feel really blessed or I really feel like my saviour helped me get through that. I don't know that I've ever felt that as deeply, you know, and that's why, like, I guess I did find it a bit triggering when he was talking about that, you know, my wife and I know that is great. Um, you know, that they felt that the Lord helped them through that time. But I just feel for me like that, that in my opinion, shouldn't ever be the focus of what's going on. The focus should be the person with the mental health, how you can support them, what you can do to help them better. Mm -hmm. I know you've still got to look after your own mental health, you know, because mental health can affect families as well, you know, and it has for many of my family. It doesn't yes. just affect that one person, it can affect a whole family. But I guess I just think, you know, sometimes things like that aren't helpful for people to hear. Like I, I was feeling anger inside here and and I'm not taking away from his experience I'm not taking away from that he felt that you know <clears throat> the saviour helped him through but I'm just like that's not what matters that's not what's important well to me it isn't I, I'm not speaking for everyone it's about cultivating and helping that person with the mental health and making sure that everything in their needs is met and you know I, I wasn't there I don't know how they dealt with his mental health but again I just feel when we constantly put this focus on the saviour with people with mental health it's not helpful at all like it's not helpful because it just if if someone's experience becomes where like me i don't feel the savior necessarily help you know i'm sure there was someone there who did help or you know if i even believe in in that power i'm not sure where i'm at with that but there, there, there may have been some higher power help that i just didn't realize it's possible but i just think that should never be the main focus of someone going through mental health it should be getting the mental health professional help and just loving the person and stop like this that. focus on church, 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 read your scriptures. The Saviour will help you through. He atoned, he's felt all your pains, all these things that we say to people. It just needs to stop, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not helpful. Um, I think that's what um that, that's one of the comments that, that Donald he is is making, sorry, that, that Doug is making that it becomes a formula. The the thing is when when we're at church or in a church setting or we're in the world of Mormonism, culturally, wherever you fit with that, we because we are we're a church organization where we are that's what we're gonna do. That's that's what we've got. It's Jesus. And if we're expecting people who are Mormon to not talk about spiritual things then you know that it's like when you go to pizza hut and you want a burger you're, you're not going to get a burger they do pizza and in the same way as mormons do do spirituality so if we're speaking to a spiritual leader or minister about feeling low or depression they are going to have something to say about Jesus usually. That said, I think it's really interesting that well we've got, you know, within within one area we've got two women here. 
one of whom I'm like, speak to me about Jesus. That's the only thing that you have of any interest to me. Don't try and fix me. Talk to me about Jesus. You're like, no, don't. Just listen. You just want to be heard. And I think it's possible for us. I, I think the, the mission of the church, the way it's set up, I think both of those needs can be addressed as well as the people who will physically need help. Um, you know, the, the sisters who need help holding each other up, the, the people who need to look after you know, kids and things. It is possible for us if we do ministering, we do home teaching, visiting teaching really well. We can do both. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as I say, I'm not taking away that, you know, from your experience that you may need to talk about Jesus when you're in severe mental health. I just don't feel what I'm saying is, you know, that it should be the focus of someone going through mental health. Um, you know, because for me, certainly it wasn't yeah. helpful. It wasn't helpful. Yeah, it's not what you need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then there's a comment here that I, I want to pull this in because actually I think it's a great way maybe for us to start to wing the the conversation to its conclusion for tonight I mean, mental health something that we're going to talk about a lot and as we go through our 21st century saints time but um the comment about right now about how focusing on now is important and while we were at sunstone um we got to participate in a joint community of christ um, LDS uh, worship on Sunday. Now, if it wasn't for the fact that the, the Sunday school um, class that was going to be held by Nemo was something that you really wanted to experience, you'd have stayed in bed, right? It was like, oh, totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is. Oh, totally I didn't get in until four a.m. in the morning, so I was a bit tired. <laughs> Alana parties our socks off. And, you know, and, and that's that's totally fine because so many people are just so burnt out with with the whole experience. They, they just don't want to do it. But what really interests me was so many of us there had a really, really sacred experience. And what I loved that was happening with you, I was watching, I was watching everybody. It was so good. Um, there was someone who was leading us and a little bit of breath work. Can you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So you were doing this breathing, and it was very, very spiritual, not at all something we would find in our general church life. That just wouldn't have, that's new agey and sort of. But Community of Christ were, were using the breath to help us connect spiritually to high power to each other to ourselves and I wondered what would so as someone let you know you, you mentioned that you struggle with taking your medication that mental health has been an ongoing you know difficulty for you over many years and a lot of that has tied back to spirituality and feeling shame or feeling like if you have been low that that has meant that you are spiritually not doing very good and often you've equated both of them together because you've been taught to that's what that's what leadership has experience has been if 
every week at church, you got to be taught, you got to, as part of communal worship, you got to do that work with breath and bringing you into yourself. And I wondered what impact that would have long-term on your mental health. Do you have any thoughts on that or nah? Um, I think you'd asked me this, you know, when we spoke about it and it's difficult to kind of really get a sense of that for me just because it's not something that's been a part. Um, and I guess where I'm at now, it's trying to separate how I feel now to how I could have felt had that been part of. I think it definitely would have helped because, like, I just felt so relaxed. I just felt so at ease. I felt, I guess almost, if you compare it to the way they say you're supposed to feel in the temple, like, I just felt like there was not a care in the world at that moment. I just felt I, my focus was on the person's voice, which was so soothing. Um, and you know what they were saying now I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what they were saying now because I just went so into myself and I did actually feel myself drifting into a bit of a sleep because I was just so so relaxed so I think if that was part of my spirituality I'm, I mean I'm not saying now that you know it would help me to go back to church or help me to stay but I think it would have made a bit of an impact because you know you are just taking that time out for yourself now I think it's easy to say yeah but we could just do that at home but you know for me again I've been given all these tools about doing some meditation doing this yeah, doing that and I struggle at home to do it you know so I think to if I was told I had to go to a group once a week to do this I probably would do it and I would yeah. do it brilliantly for me to do it at home I, I guess I don't always prioritize myself that that's being truthful I don't prioritize myself as needing that I prioritize everyone else my daughter my family um but I, I definitely think I definitely think if it had been part of growing up I think it possibly I'm not saying it would have fully um taken away my mental health completely because you know there was other factors in my mental health to things that happened to me as a child and things um but I think it certainly could have impacted how I viewed mental health and how, you know, taking that time for myself. You know, if mm -hmm. that had been instilled in me from a young age, it, it possibly yeah. could have helped me to find better coping mechanisms to deal with so, mental health. I don't know if I'm even making sense. I feel like I'm no, just... you, you absolutely are because, and that's why I, I was sort of asking is because I've got to sort of see this journey and, you know bless you you're so good at me using you as an object lesson a lot of the time you know, <laughs> you know I'm happy to though I'm an open book I'll talk to anyone about anything I'm like do you want to talk about meds I think a lot of my, my open book comes from I think I felt silenced for so long you know as yes. a child from what happened to me growing up and I think I felt silenced for so long that now I'm like and I just always think you know now I'm not saying that I just randomly talk to every person that I speak to about you know my childhood abuse and things like that but I think, I just think, you know, sometimes if you feel it's the right time to speak to someone, you you just don't know who you're helping. You don't know who, you know, maybe has gone through that, but too afraid to speak out, you know. And then, as I say, I always do it when when the time's right. But that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm happy to be used as an object lesson. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, you know, seeing you as someone who struggles with um, taking your meds at, at times and you know, the amount of, um, you know, uh, you know, you absolutely know that, that doing sort of some mindfulness and breath work on a regular basis would hugely 
benefit you you know this but you struggle with doing it and so i here's me watching you having this experience where someone's leading you through it you're doing it as part of a group as part of your spiritual work and i can see the oh my goodness, look how much you're benefiting from that. If you had been able to do this on a regular basis, what difference would that make in your life? And it's something that I, you know, I've been asking myself about. I just think it's pretty amazing. Um, I think my, my signal might be sort of playing up a little bit, so I'm sorry if there's a little bit of disruption. Um, there's two more things that I want us to cover. First of all, um, I'm bringing family back up again. Both Alana and I have, you know, relatively well-defined plans for if we have a mental health flare-up, how that would be dealt with. Um, so, you know, we know, um, I, I, we joke about this a lot because I will call Alana's mum. I'll just be like, I'm going to tell your mum. And I do it. And, um, you know, we, so there are things that we we would do alana would you know let my husband know now, the interesting thing i want so i want to talk about how family in the context of the mormon church where family is the center of everything where family comes first and we fail we are failures if our family is not right somehow if, uh, what happens then when mental health is in the mix? Are family the best people to help? What place should they should they hold in that? Now, I'm going to give that some context by, you know, like Alana will be able to tell you that when I have an OCD flare-up, my family, um, even my husband, they don't recognise it. They, they don't see it. They just, they're just so used to seeing me. And I'll tell Alana this, like, no, it's um, no, they, they haven't really noticed. And Alana's like, what? You, but you are, no, you're ill. <laughs> like, you can see it so clearly. Um, and so I, I just find that really interesting. What is the place for family when we are talking about mental health in church? Do you have um, any thoughts? I, th I think, again... It, it, you've got to always go back to saying it's different for every person, you know. It, like I've said to you, you know, look when I'm saying about the whole Jesus thing, like it's not right for me, but it's right for you. Um, I mean, I think again, <clears throat> when I say family, it's it's not about again the family trying to fix you, um, because again they're not professionally trained, but it's trying to make sure that if it's needed and if they feel it's right to do so because for everyone you know i look at some people you know family trying to get involved might make the person worse it might make them but i guess it's getting to a point in your life where you realize i mean there was a time with one of my family members where it got so bad that we had to step in we had no choice whether it hurt them or whether it you know we had to step in otherwise you know i don't know where they would be at today so there's times where you just have to step in, but I guess it's assessing the situation and seeing where the need is. And again, for me, it's not necessarily about family being there every minute of every day. It's just being aware. And I think like with the, the utmost respect to my family, it's like the same as you. I always say to anybody I talk to, like my friend knows when I'm not right more than my family does. 
you know, and I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's yeah. just because the closeness is there. And again, I am very good at hiding it. Very good at hiding it. But Jane always sees through it. She knows. Um, you know, because I just got so used to hiding how I was feeling. I got so I got so good at it that, that people didn't know that I was suffering. Um, so I guess it, it's difficult because family getting involved isn't always right for every person. Um I love my family dearly. And again, you know, so like for instance, and, and I know my mum won't mind me saying this, I love my mum with all my heart. We didn't always have the best relationship growing up, but sometimes the way my mum says things or sometimes the way she puts it across makes me so angry and resentful towards her. And, and I love her so much, I don't want to take away from that. But sometimes the things she says makes me feel worse and makes me feel angry towards her. So sometimes, again, it's assessing the situation and seeing whether you are the right person for this like <clears throat> I guess sometimes when some of my family step in like and say oh your medication why are you not doing this I sometimes feel judged sometimes and I know it's not necessarily the case um whereas when Jane says it I don't feel that way because I know like and I know with my family it's deep concern but I, I don't know how to explain it like when Jane says it, I'm like yeah, and Jane Jane laughs at me because she'll go, um, I mean, did, did did you think about taking your medication tonight? And I'll be like, nah. Are, are, are you going to take it? Nah. <laughs> and I love it that I can be that way with Jane and just be honest. I did. I did. That's right. I did. You know, so, so sometimes... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I, it's so yeah. hard to, to really put into words what I'm trying to say, but I just think sometimes family isn't the best option for some people, but I think there has to be some family yeah. support there to make sure that the person's getting the right support that they need. And I, I want to sort of suggest respectfully, I don't know what people's family situations are like, this, you know, this is not aimed. Maybe it is. Do Mormons, do, do we enable within families? Are, are we like, you know, this is, do we enable somebody, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like this is normal behaviour, this is neurotypical behaviour when actually somebody's really ill. Now I think my husband would be an enabler if he gave it any thought, you know, he, because he loves me, he thinks that everything I do is right. I also make clear that because everything I do is right, you know. Um, see, when you're the person who everybody goes to for answers, um, I don't know. I, I wonder how much how, how much do we enable within families? And I think that's why it can be quite helpful to have a friend or certainly a mental health professional to have that distance. Because I think, one, you don't always recognise it in immediate family. Um, and two, I mean, if you've got a family who can talk about it, fantastic. But mm. The other thing is that in Mormonism, when things aren't necessarily perfect, fitting the mould, when the kid comes home from the mission, when your wife cannot get out of bed for months after she's had the last baby, um, all sorts of things. It, we're not always very good at talking about what really matters. No. I've always said that, like, whereas my family are so close and things, like, sometimes, you know, like, I go back to it and say, <clears throat> you know, like, when I first spoke about what had happened to me, 
um, all those years ago, you know, it was dealt with at the time because I was so ill and because I then eventually ended up in hospital. Um, <clears throat> but after that, it was never talked about. And that really affected me. And I don't even know to this day if my family know how much it affected me because although I had spoken out, I just felt that that was it. It was out. Let's forget about it. Let's move on. But I had so much I wanted to say, but felt I couldn't. And I don't say that to hurt any of my family, but I just think certainly with my family, I feel sometimes they're very good at just sweeping things under the carpet. And and again, it's probably a lot of conditioning. It's probably just a lot of the way society is. You know, um, I always, you know, say it depends on the times, you know, and I don't mean that in, in a bad way, but just years ago, things were very different, other. you know. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, families would be such more healthier and their relationships and not even just families, even friends, if we just spoke more. And what I say is, you know, it's not necessarily about speaking and hurting someone. And I think people need to realise that sometimes, even though it might hurt a little bit what someone's got to say, it's how they feel or it's maybe how they've been made to feel by something you've done. Or, you know, so I think if we just all spoke more to each other about how we feel, I think families and relationships would be a lot healthier. I, I love that. And I, I love this this comment, um, uh, you know, from Donald again, people are messy. That is that is my mantra. That's what I take into church when I'm there every week, you know, let, let us be messy. Let that be okay. Let us, let us have human experiences. Let us be human and that be okay. Um, okay, the final thing that I, I want to talk about is something that I think we may continue to talk about on a regular basis. So if, as a thought experiment, Alan and I have, have done this once or twice before and completely went blank, were women to be called as bishop? Were you to have a, a woman bishop in your ward. Alana, you've just been called as the first woman bishop in your ward. What would you do? What? How would mental health be dealt with in your ward? What are you going to do as, as bishop to deal with mental health? Nothing like putting me in the spot, Jane. Um, well, I, I think know, it, it goes so back to, again, right? a lot of what I've spoke about is make sure people are directed to the right professionals and not try to fix people. You know, just love people and tell them, you know, like I guess for me with mental health, I can empathise with people a lot because I've been through it myself. I think it's very difficult when you're speaking to someone who's never never suffered from mental health um, to say, you know, and, and I always, like, I used to say growing up, you know, to people, oh, you know, I understand I've been through it, but I don't say that anymore or I know what you've been through because everyone's experience is different. Although I went through what I went through, and although someone else went through maybe the exact same thing, our experiences are so different. So I don't understand what you've been through. But I think it was just a term that I used loosely growing up because it was a thing to say. But I now realise that that's not the case because, you know, people's stories are different, people's experiences are different. So I can't fully really understand what you went through. Um, and I think, you know, like we spoke about just bringing things in, like I would love to see that, you know, within the church, you know, having... I mean, that was what, all of a few minutes, if that, that breathing exercise. 
Can I just jump in just to say that um, this Mormon bishop, you know, in this thought experiment, the Mormon bishop is being cuddled by their, by their child, and <laughs> it is quite a beautiful moment. Yeah, sorry. So you were saying that lasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you know, bringing things in, and I think, I think it's difficult because it's one of those ones where I want to say we need to talk about mental health more, but I don't know necessarily that I would just give everyone the free reign to talk about it because it can become messy. But I think I would probably be looking at bringing in people who are mental health professionals who are, um, you know, all these things. You know, it, it, I just think we've got such a good scope so in the church. Well, I've said that women's yeah. aid would be great to bring yeah. into the church to to talk about how not how to deal with abuse victims because you're not there to deal with them, but how how to know what's helpful to say, what's not helpful to say, um, you know, and people recovering or um, you know, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to speak to her because she's been really noisy in the background. You're right. Um, this is this is what I love <laughs> that we we are real, this is real life. <laughs> I know. I realised earlier I went off on one and I was probably on camera because I'm just like, will you just leave me alone? No. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, there's just there's just so much. I think when it comes to mental health, it, it, there needs to be. You know, you've got loads of mental health charities. You know, you've got Sam H in Scotland. You know, you've got. I guess just bringing, and again, you know, I'm not saying Sunday because obviously Sunday's for worship, but we've got so much scope to hold these things to to help people um, to learn a bit more about it. Because, and again, I just I just go back to I think if I was a female bishop, I think I would push um, for change within the church, even even if they didn't release me as the bishop because of it, and, and I mean like change and and to do with training. And training yeah. for bishops and training for leaders regarding various things, mental health, you know, just various things, I think. Okay. Um, so, well, this is the thing, um, you know, because this is our thought experiment. And I would change all the men leaders to women leaders. Yeah, well, share in the comments if you guys have got any ideas. What would you do as a bishop to, um, to especially for our, our women audiences who we don't get to hear from, what would you do to, to you know, tackle mental I health? I was just thinking, like, nothing related i was just thinking we keep saying donald i think is it possibly donnell is that how you pronounce that name i realized it earlier like i was saying donald and i'm like i bet you it's donnell or something like that i'm rubbish with names like yeah if you if you can just confirm if i've pronounced donnell or if you know i'm just the more i keep saying donald i'm like that doesn't sound right like so what now i'm just trying to think if if i um, in this thought experiment, it's because we're in charge. So you're being paid as a bishop. So we're we're all good. You're being paid and and trained as a bishop. So you, I, th I think that's that's one of the things that we need to keep in mind is the um the church itself. It would be really important if the if you're if you're doing this job, fulfilling this this um responsibility, the church itself has an obligation to make sure that you are trained. So we would be expecting good quality training for, you know, pastoral care, because you're recognising that mental health is going to be something that you're really going to have to do a lot of work in that area. People are always, you know, it's, it's epidemic right now, especially after COVID, as people are sort of getting back out there. So, yeah, women's aid... Um, 
you know, mindfulness work as part of the worship experience. Um, people coming in to train members. Um, people, you know, I, I focus on knowing when to shut up. Anything else? And it is Donnell. Thank you for that. Yeah. I just realised that when I was saying it, it didn't sound right. I realised actually I should have said that a long time ago because I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm not <laughs> pronouncing that correctly. So, yeah, oh. so as, as there you go, we've, we've, we've uh, sorted, we've given, given some ideas for how as women we would, oh we would tackle mental health in the church. The final thing that I think is really important that I want to, that I, that I want to have before we before we close up is in the talk from Elder Kapishke, there wasn't a huge amount of signposting. So there was some. It's you know recognised it's important to seek medical help, um, things like that. But I think when we talk about any time we talk about mental health, especially suicidality, is that we need to be sharing resources and pointing out where to go. Now, Lana and I have no experience whatsoever other than peer support when it comes to mental health. So that's one of the first things that we'd say, well, you absolutely can always reach out to us. Um, we're not experts, and but we can certainly point you in the direction of places that you can go to if you want to talk. Um, we would always give a shout out to here in the UK, the Samaritans, who are available 24 seven um, if you are struggling with anything that we've discussed tonight. Um, I'm also going to link in the show notes to Alana um, did her intro and in interview way back when we first started this show. I'm going to link to that because there's lots of things that Alana speaks in there about her about her journey. So we'll put some links and some references in the show notes. Um, and if there's anything that you need to speak with us about, then do get in touch. So as we head out, we have been asked if we can have a special guest come in and speak with us who's going to entertain us and is going to cheer us all up for a moment. Um, we have a, a new up-and-coming Scottish comedian who has asked if they can come on and share a joke. I, Alana, are they, are they prepared to Hold on a minute. come speak with us? So we're just, while the stage is being prepared for our, for, for our uh, joke that we're going to get to hear, um, we will to introduce you officially to Young Daisy. This is Young Daisy's first proper appearance, although she's been around on the show quite a lot. But Daisy would like to tell us all a joke to cheer us up. And so she's just getting her act ready. We're, we are going to hear a little bit from her just now. Right, come on. Right, are you ready, Miss Daisy? It was funny. You told it to Mum. Just, just say it. Why does... How, what? Right, think about it. Right, hold on a minute. Take a big breath. This sounds like it's going to be a great joke and everybody's really looking forward to hearing it. 
Right, I think we've got it. Why could Cinderella not play football? So why could Cinderella not play football? I don't know. Because she was run away from the ball. Because she would run oh, away from the ball. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was wonderful. What? what a brilliant She wants to hear you, Jen. Brilliant. Daisy, thank you so much. Everybody was so excited to hear your joke. And can you see in the comments? That was absolutely brilliant. And we're looking forward to you coming back. Are you going to come back and tell us more jokes than the future? Do you think? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That'll be wonderful. Thank you so much, Daisy. That was very kind of you. Um, okay. Alana, is there... Just there we go. Alana, are you do you want to say anything to take us out? Um yeah, just um, yeah, just again, I just go back to just loving people, just love people, be there to support them and just going on what I keep saying all night, don't try to fix people. We're not there to fix people, we're just there to love them and support them. Um and yeah, just that I think that's that's all I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the love, love Daisy. Um, from from me, I I just want to say, I think a church that is talking about mental health in a really healthy way like this is wonderful. This is um this is the kind of thing I love to hear more about. It's a spiritual act that connects us to it connects mm -hmm. us to each other, and you know helping us to be um, aware. Um, allowing someone to be vulnerable and to openly share something as powerful and as personal as that. I want to see more of that in conference. And okay, yeah, absolutely. Not everybody, it's not going to be the right talk for everybody. But can you imagine if this was a pattern that was set for future conferences? Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So thank you, Elder Kapishki, for your vulnerability and your honesty. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, and I know that, that lots of other people really appreciate it. Um, Alana and Daisy, thank you so much. As always, your, your words are, of wisdom are just always so well received. We all love them. Um, audience, Thank you. Thank you for all your support. We will be back next week. Um, I think we'll have a guest with us next week. Yeah. And, we will let you know and just on be. that, just always remember, um, we are always looking for guests. So anyone who would like to be on our podcast, contact either 21st Century Saints page or myself or Jane directly, if you would like to come and have a chat with us. And that we will we will head out don't forget you can like our page on facebook and on youtube share it amongst your friends subscribe on youtube